0: Thank you, Leslie and Paul, and good to see you all here today. Beautiful summer morning. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and turn to the book of Matthew. We'll be looking at a couple of uh, passages today. Matthew, we'll be, we'll be looking at chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, and then also, as well, looking at Romans chapter 6. Matthew chapter 28, we'll begin reading at verse 16. Matthew 28. Verse sixteen. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. But and Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Let's turn to uh, Romans chapter 6 for a moment. Romans chapter 6, as we look at the real meaning and identification with baptism. Romans chapter 6, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. May God add a special blessing to the reading of this word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we thank you for being here amongst us, for giving us a beautiful day that we can gather and to worship and to learn more of you. Father, we seek you. We would ask for clarity today. We would ask that you would allow us to see you more clearly than ever before. We ask that our relationship would continue to grow. That lifeline that has been accomplished by Jesus Christ and He alone. Father, may we see you for who you are. Father, we look forward to the future, the time in which we'll be together with you and Jesus forever, eternally. That is an undescribable event to be in your presence, to see my Savior's hands and feet, as he paid the price for me. He approached Calvary with duty and love. May we see that even more clearly today. Father, bless us through the Word, using the Holy Spirit exclusively to teach us. We'll thank you for what you'll accomplish in our lives as a result of being here in the Word. Asking these things in Christ's name, Amen. Well, we've been engaged in a uh, study uh, primarily around the gospel of Luke, of Mark, I'm sorry. And uh, we've been seeing the walk of Jesus. We've been seeing the power that he has over numerous things. There was nothing of which he couldn't handle. There was nothing of which he was inferior to. We saw the power over demons. We've seen it over disease. We've seen it literally over every imaginable obstacle of which would have been thwarting his kingdom, shall we say. The one thing he came, though, was not just to have a physical kingdom, because that would have been rather easy. He could have just taken over by force. It was amazing. Now, our board is erased today, but I, I just every time we had written down the size of the temple of which he cleansed in a matter of hours, 35 acres of temple that were being used to make money by the religious leaders. They were merchandising and not creating it as a place of prayer, a place of worship, a place of somewhere that people could see God more clearly, to hear Him, if you will. And He single-handedly cleaned this place out. We found that in the last week of His life, this is the Passion Week, that we're actually uh, we're going to take a bit of a break today, but it's amazing how it just all flies together. We were on Wednesday of Passion Week last week. Jesus was back in the temple the day after He'd cleansed it, and He was taking some heat, obviously from the people that were making money. The people that he had ticked off massively. What are you doing? By whose authority did you do this? Who, wh- who gives you the right? Who do you think you really are? And actually hoping he would say, well, I'm the son of God. Because that would be seen as blasphemous and they could have ended his life. That was the whole goal actually all along was to get him, get rid of him. And we found that he handled that rather well. He made them look like fools and they walked away. They once again strategically did not understand the mind of our Savior. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. He's 48 hours away from being on a cross. It's a cross that he's destined to choose for himself to be there. He's chosen it. He's not there because he just didn't quite measure up and they finally got a hold of him. It wasn't that he just didn't quite get his message out to everyone and take the world by storm. No, he came for this reason. He came to literally die for the sins of you and me. And those people in the age and generation of which he was living, backwards and forwards, he had one sacrifice that was going to be accomplished once and for all. The last three words that Jesus Christ uttered on this planet was, the most infamous words that I am so glad he could say them, was, it is finished. Wow! To say that it is finished is magnanimous for us sitting here today. You can go with a future that is pre-planned. When you accept Christ by faith, Bingo! All of that is yours because of what Jesus' travel to Calvary accomplished. Today I want to take just a, just a step back because of situation and circumstances that God has brought to us. Um, it's something, and by the way, uh, July is a lot better month for baptism in the Ruby River than January. <laughs> <laughs> They're, it's they're, not they're, they're scheduled open in January <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, <I
0: don't, laughs> And I'm going to be super honest. I don't like a lot of water first of all, but cold, icy water is definitely not my, my theme. And it is amazing, though, for us to be so blessed to be in a valley, uh, the Ruby Valley, that literally and have afforded the opportunity to use the Ruby River to baptize those that have trusted in Jesus Christ. What a, what a gift, what a glory it is. And as Paul has pointed out, it's our Jordan, shall we say, our little, little yeah. ruby river. Um, at any rate, though, what we want to do for the mo- next moments in front of us is to look at a very, I would say, not necessarily an intense, detailed study of baptism, but one that certainly would be overarching and would give us a good picture of what's behind it. Uh, baptism is a word that is thrown around. It's actually somewhat out of... I would say, sorts with even the church today. You don't see a lot of baptismal services. You don't see a lot written or talked about in regards to that. And yet, uh, we read some verses here today that give, obviously, a physical command from Jesus. That was some of his very last moments of order, shall we say, to his disciples. He says, I want you to go out and make disciples and baptize them. It's pretty clear. There's nothing that would be, huh, I wonder what he really meant by that. Hmm, I wish he would have been more, really more clear, not so subtle. No, it was very clear, wasn't it? But it's more than just that, the physical, uh, shall we say, the physical observation of that. We want to get beyond, behind that. We want to get further. We want to get deeper than that. What's it really a picture of? Because it is a symbol. It's, yes, it is a physical observation. It's a command. It's something that Jesus himself literally gave for us as believers. Um, and starting with the fact of how we read just those few verses, um, Clarity, obviously, is our intention today. We want everyone to understand what baptism is about. The very word itself comes from, it was actually transliterated, the English word baptize was transliterated from a Greek word called baptizo. It was so close to what they wanted to get the meaning from, they used baptizo to get baptized. That's pretty simple. Uh, You can get that, can't you? It's pretty clear. It's straight away. But what does that word mean? What does baptizo, that would be the verb form of the Greek, uh, what does it mean? It literally means to immerse. It means that very word. It is to immerse. And in the baptismal ceremony is immersion in water by a person that is giving observation to a trusting, saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's not something that saves you. I want to be very clear. We'll be talking about that at the end as well. But baptism is commanded, but it does not give regeneration it does not save you it's not required for you to go to heaven now again it is an act of obedience that's sometimes where we get a, bit, a little bit hung up so why does it why what is the reason not to be baptized um, there's several of which I found myself actually uh, the, the closer one is from the sense of trusting Christ as Savior That faith. We're going to go into Romans deeper then. we we'll get a flow of what really the the symbolism behind the physical form of baptism is. We want to dig into that. But myself, I found myself the point of which I was saved at a very young age. I trusted Christ. I was on a swing set and my mother, I don't know how she got there, but somehow God and the Holy Spirit, I was probably six. I wasn't very old. But I knew at the course of this conversation, I don't know what my mom said, but it was, whoa, I am a sinner, and there's nothing I can do about it. And being me, rather than continue the conversation, I took off, ran upstairs and jumped in my bed and pulled the covers over my head by myself. And i still, I couldn't hide, though, could I? The situation was the same. But I remember just in those quiet moments inside, (laughs) covering my bed, I just cried out to Jesus, I can't help myself. I placed my faith in you because my mother told me that you were the one that could save me. And at 6, I became saved. I was saved at that point. There's no question about it. In fact, my mother said just a few days later, I think I put the fire of whatever you want to say in my sister, who was 3. I said, you need to get saved. Now, she says that she did. I don't know. I think she was just scared to death. But at any rate, the point of the matter was, is the fact that that event right there was all that was necessary because I was convicted of my sin. I knew there was going be right and wrong. And I placed my faith in the only one that literally could save me. Okay? Um, as time went on, um, you know I, you know how it is. You, your, your flow of life is a little bit up and down the ebbs and flows of life. Um, but baptism was not part of that. Uh, the church that we attended, it was... I don't know what to say about it other than it was just... It might have been infant baptism, which, uh, quite honestly... As I'm speaking before you, it's nice, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't mean anything. Because if we said there's an order of business, if you will, Jesus, I'm sorry, uh, Peter, in the uh, beginning of the church at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized. And I believe that the, construct, the structure of that verse continues to say, Because of the remission of sins. Be baptized because of the remission of sins. To be baptized before you've trusted Christ... It's just an act of practice. It really doesn't mean anything. And we'll get into that because, again, baptism is very, very symbolic in what it's observing and the identification that comes with it. Well, and time went on, and pretty soon, and I, you know, again, if you were to ask me, does baptism save you? And I was very, no, it doesn't. So there was almost a bit of a pride thing that kind of rose up within me, although you'd never call pride pride, right? You don't do that because you know pride's wrong, and God hates pride. But there's something within this. there's a, is there just that little tiny sense of rebellion. Does anyone else have that? Oh, don't. No, no one else does. It was just me. <laughs> and I don't know that it was necessary that. I couldn't pose it that way, because I could back it up very clearly, and I said, well, I haven't been baptized, because literally my faith is not in baptism. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's true. That's absolutely true. But there's a command there. And then the further you go on, and the further you go on, the deeper you are, in maybe serving the Lord, doing his work. It's almost, uh, I'm I'm not going to say embarrassing, but wait a minute. Should I really, I don't believe that baptism saves me. And I was struggling. I was actually this in and out deal for a while. But God kept working my heart. Now, one, uh, another reason for not being baptized is the sense, you just don't know. You just don't know the significance of it. You don't know that it's a commandment. You don't know that Jesus required it. That's okay. That's fine. After today, you can't use that excuse anymore if you have been baptized. A second one, like I said, is pride. And I was caught up somewhere in between those for a moment and actually several years. But God just has this way of, he's, he's a nudger, isn't he? You ever notice that? When you say no, he says, okay. But it just keeps, it's just that nudging, right? Just that little bit of, and you know it. But there comes a point you have to make a decision. And I remember it, it bugged me long enough. I finally said, you know what? I've, this needs to be dealt with. I don't know that there's anything beyond it except the Bible commands it, and I need to obey it. If I'm truly in Jesus Christ, I need to obey that. And it wasn't magnanimous. It was actually in the Ruby River. It was a. It was just kind of a quiet family event, quite honestly. But for me, it was something I knew I had to do. It was, it was an, a sense of yielding. We saw that word in Romans chapter 6. And I'm not going to say bells and whistles and lights went off and lightning flashed and my life was great and it was rosy from here on forever after because it wasn't <laughs> and isn't But you know what? There was joy and peace in the fact that I had done what God had asked me to do. That's what's important. That's really what's important. In fact, trials, we've been talking about this numerously. If you've been with us in the last number of years or listening to any podcast, it's the trials that really make us mature. It's where that patience and endurance and all that comes from is the tough times. And who votes for tough times? Not me either. But at the same point, at the end of it, you have to say, you know what, God really used those to make me and bring me to a new level of maturity. That's what he's after. And you know what? You know, we, another word we, that he calls it is you're just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. That's success. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says that he's faithful to complete and, to compl- and, and finish the work. He's not done with me. He's not done with you. As long as we have breath in our we continue to yield. He continues to shape and mold and make us everything that is best for him when we look a little bit more like Jesus. I want to look in the mirror, and I want to see just a little bit more Jesus. John the Baptist said it best. He says, I must decrease, and he, Jesus, must increase. That couldn't be probably a better post-log for my life, if I, if I could say that, that Jesus increased and I decreased. And you know how we do that? We do it by yielding. We yield by following commandments. And baptism is one of those. Now there's another reason not to be baptized and that is the sense of defiance. In other words, I, you know, I know it doesn't save me and I'm just not I'm taking a position. I have I'm just not going to do that. Um that's a that's a fairly difficult place to be because usually behind that is there's probably other sins that are in your life. If you're defined on one, in the sense of obedience, you're going to find yourself probably in a level of defiance in just following God at any level. And then the last one uh, is a very good reason. If you've not trusted Christ as Savior, then for heaven's sakes, don't get baptized. It's, a, it's worthless because that's not what saves you. That's not what's going to get you out of hell. That's not what's going to get you into heaven. In other words, you say, well, I was a member of such and such church, and I was baptized on this date, and I was, you know, you go, no, none of that matters because none of it's strong enough. None of it makes enough sense. None of it is powerful enough. Only the blood of Jesus Christ and only he and he alone is strong enough to be able to get you where you want to be. Thank God. I'm glad there's not any other way. I'm glad Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes out of the Father except by me. I like exclusivity because it's simple for guys like me. Today, have you noticed the erosion of truth? And I'm saying that with quotes around erosion. You can't even find it because that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants nobody to know the truth. The less the truth is known, the less possibility of something actually finding it. I've never seen such a diluted force and course of truth today. And yet, we've got to go back to God's Word. Even Jesus said that. He said, what does the Scripture say? They'd ask him some really you know, meticulous question. They're just trying to trap him. And he said, what does the Bible say? Isn't that a great place to be? When somebody asks you a really tough question, you can just say, well, what does the Bible say? See, all of the, then it all goes back to the Creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's a great place to start because then you start to think, oh, I'm created, so I'm responsible. If I'm responsible, I'm accountable. If I'm accountable, to who? Well, God. Not me. Isn't that good stuff? Identification. That's a word that you'll find that's linked to baptism as well. Identification. Well, we've talked about what it is. It's literally that ceremony in which a person is immersed. And that word is very key. It's not sprinkled. It's not dipped. It's not anything other than literally that word itself means to be immersed. There's a reason for that. We find, in fact, let's look at like some examples of that. Let's go to our Bibles and let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Let's. Look at some instances of baptism in the physical observation of that. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, let's look at verse 6. And we'll actually start back a little bit further. Let's find our, our man John the Baptist. Let's just start in verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. It says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Wow. That's going natural, isn't it? Then went out him to Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region, watch now, about Jordan, and were baptized of him, immersed of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. That was John the Baptist. Uh, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3 and just turn over to verse 16. Jesus has shown up. Jesus in verse 16, it says, Jesus, when he was baptized, when he was immersed, went up straightway out of the water and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see the Trinity present at this baptism of Jesus. Now, did Jesus have to be immersed for his sin? Did he have to be immersed to be more righteous? In fact, he describes it this way. Actually, just pop up a few verses in front of that. It says in verse 15, I should have read that one. Uh, In fact, let's even go further up. John is not exactly a fan of this. He says in verse 13, same chapter, chapter 3 of Matthew. uh, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized, to be immersed of him. And John forbade him. John didn't want to do it, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you come to me. Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered or allowed him, and he baptized him to fulfill all righteousness. You see, we talk about this word identification. Jesus literally identified with baptism, that immersion of which he was going to be the first to go in, and literally we are baptized or immersed into three different things. We find it back in Romans. We'll get into that in a moment. But his death, and if following our study in Mark, we're about two days away. We're 48 hours away from him literally being immersed into death. And then he was buried for three days. And ultimately, as he rose from the dead... We're immersed in Christ and all of that. And you think about the physical aspect of this, of, the, of, a, of a baptism. If you're there at a ceremony, uh, that person then would go down under the water completely. You're immersed in the water, which would be you were immersed in Romans chapter 6. It talks about being baptized unto death. In fact, there's a beginning of baptism. Oh, I'm not quite ready for that yet. We'll be talking about Where did it start? Where did the history come from? We'll talk about it in a moment. But as you're dunked if you will or you're immersed in water it's like all of that old stuff everything those sins that tied you up that were penalizing you that were destroying your future all of those are under the water they're under Jesus Christ's death and burial and as you come up out of it you're onto a new life that's the symbol that's the picture of what baptism really is all about we'll be getting into a lot more in Romans chapter 6. But here's John saying, whoa, stop for a moment. Why would, why would I be able to baptize you? You're far in advance beyond me. But the identification that Jesus literally wanted to fulfill everything it meant for him to identify with us. Aren't you glad he's willing to identify with us? Aren't you glad that he came to die for us? That he was buried for us? That he rose again for us? That's all tied up in the sense of immersion or baptism. And then you notice that all three, the Trinity, was all there. God the Father said, this is my beloved Son. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove landed on him, and Jesus himself was there. That's a special event. Let's go to John chapter 3, verse 22. John chapter 3, and verse 22. Here we find John the Baptist again. Um, John chapter 3, verse 22. Uh, It's interesting in which John did the baptism. It's kind of, I just want to just throw you some some verbiage, some adjectives, some sense of fulfilling of this. John chapter 3, verse 22, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Just, Just to lay that out, it wasn't that... You took the river to the people, or water to the people, they came to the river. And it was deep. It was something. Again, you see the point of immersion. This is very clear. You find nothing in the New Testament of any other way or form of baptism other than the word, what it means itself, and that is immersion. That's really key because it ties in all the symbols of everything that is being pointed out from Jesus's, our faith in Jesus Christ. Take a look at Acts chapter 8. We find one more here. Acts chapter 8 and verse 36. Acts eight, verse thirty-six. Philip is uh, and the and the eunuch are having a discussion. And then it says, "Let's I don't know where, where should we start?" Um, we'll just turn in verse thirty-five. Acts chapter eight, verse thirty-five. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same t- at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, that's a pretty close connection between being saved, trusting Christ, and being immersed into the water in that outward object illustration. And Philip said, verse 37, if thou believest, do you see the key? If thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest. There's no sense doing this if you don't. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one that came to save me from my sins. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Wow. That's pretty close, right? That's like, that's slam, bam, one, two, right? You're just kind of, you're, you're witnessing this guy and he's reading his Bible and he's not getting it. And Philip says, do you want to understand that? Boy, I would love to know about that. He said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let's take that scripture and let's, let's let you see Jesus in a fuller, bigger form. And he says, that's unbelievable. That's what I need. I need Jesus. And they're just cruising along in their chariot at a low rate of speed, I'm sure, visiting. And, well, there's a body of water. And the guy says, well, what would cause me not to be baptized? Nothing, if you believe. Isn't that good? That's absolutely, that's a perfect uh, one-two step. Now, why would that eunuch even have been familiar with baptism? Did baptism just start with John? No, it didn't. Actually, the history of baptism would have went all the way back in the pages of the Old Testament. Even you could go back, and we could go into Leviticus, but one I would probably would be the the best for us today is the fact that, let's say you were a Gentile and you were living close to some Jewish neighbors. You were watching them from a distance. And it was up close, and, you know, there was something about them. There was something about them that really caught your attention. They had one God, and they really, really did take Him serious. It was amazing. Their whole life revolved around this God that they called Jehovah, the God they called Yahweh. You didn't understand all of it, but you could see they were different. There was something about them that were really attractive. They trusted their God. You heard about a man named Abraham. You heard about a man named Moses. They would talk about them. They would talk about their history. They would talk about how these men literally led them along life's journeys. Oh, I just thought of something. Let's go to, uh, hold your place. I'll try to hold my thoughts. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. I think, I hope I'm right, but let's look at this. This would be a non-water baptism. Let's see if I'm right. Uh, Romans. I did not get that right. Excellent. Um, Just a minute. Where was that at? Don't you hate it when that happens? Oh, there it is. Found it in my notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 10. Not even close, was it, Romans chapter 8? What the world? uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2. We'll start in verse 1, though. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Talking about the Israelites. Watching all of this. Verse 1, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians says this. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Watch this, verse 2. And all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea, or immersed into Moses. There's a sense of solidarity. Where Moses led us, we went. We went wherever Moses went. We were part of him. We were solidarity. I can't even say the word I want to say, so we'll just say they were connected in solidarity. There, that sounded good. And there was a connection because of the immersion. That's the word that's used again. They're really immersed into Moses. Now back to our story. You're a Gentile and you're living close to some Jews. And they've told you the story. They've told you the parting of the Red Sea. It's amazing. And you're like, what? But you know, the more you found out, the more you researched it, the more you thought it was true. And then they talked about Jericho. They talked about how those walls of Jericho, they're coming in. I could go on and on. All of these stories became known to you. And at some point, you finally said, you know what? Their God is real. (laughs) Their God is real. What do I do to, to follow your God? And so what you would do then is you would be called a proselyte proselyte. So you're going to become a Jew. Well, there were several steps for you to be able to do that if you were outside of Jewry. One was, the first was you needed to be, go through a circumcision and males would go through that and that would be step one. It's a setting apart, if you will, just as God did with Abraham. Now again, there were those that got confused because of circumcision, we are godly. No, a thousand times no. It's an outward exhibition. There's nothing beyond that. And then the second step, this is important. You would literally go into an immersion. You would go into the water that what would happen is that person was depicting or they would illustrating the fact that as they would be completely immersed in the water, all of their old life, all of the old habits, all of the old idols, all of the old traditions, everything that was behind them as being a Gentile was left. As you raised from the dead, you would have the new life in God, this new God that you were following. That was where baptism started as being a proselyte of Jews. So that's why when John the Baptist came, it was sort of cool, but not really. Let me tell you why. Here's John the Baptist, he's coming, and his message is what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Now that's a problem, because he did something that he crossed the line. Up until that time, there was a distinct Line of demarcation between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, if you were a Jew and you went through Gentile country, you didn't do it very often, but if you did, you would shake the dust off your, off your feet. And it was like, total, they talk about racism today? Oh, man, it was at an elevated level between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews saw themselves as pretty pompous, pretty rigid in the sense of who they were in the lines of who they really were in, right? You get it? And John does something really weird. Baptism was cool. If you're a Gentile and you want to become a Jew, that's cool. You can be immersed into Judaism and you can be like us because we're cool. But John did something that was way out of character. And the religious leaders hated him. for. Well, you know what happened to him, right? Remember? What happened to John? He's beheaded. He lived the cause, fought the fight, lost his life. He said this. This is the part they hated. It's not just Gentiles that need to be baptized. You Jews need to be baptized. You need to be immersed in repentance because your heart is just as dirty, just as corrupt, just as lost as any Gentile in the world. Oh, that was met with just a skosh of resistance, just a tiny, teeny bit. The Pharisees and Sadducees were so ticked off, they were so mad, they could not believe how mad they were at this guy. What are you doing? He said, You got to get ready, you have to repent because the Messiah is coming. But they didn't want any part of that, none at all. And that baptism of John was so frowned upon by the religious leaders, but the people respected it. And it was like he was just that very, he was a forerunner. He said, You know what? You need to repent. You are, you are so, your hearts are tainted, they are full of sin. You must repent of where you are. The people accepted it. Religious leaders didn't. All of that pointing towards Jesus Christ. Oh, there was one other part if you were going to be a good Jew. First was circumcision, step one. Step two was baptism. Step three was what they called Corban, K-O-R-B-A-N. That would be that you had to have a sacrificial animal that needed to be slaughtered that that had to be a substitute for your sin. Without that, it couldn't be complete. Pointing towards who? Jesus Christ. It was pointing to the one that one day ultimately would take away and atone for and all of the sin of the world. In fact, John the Baptist in uh, John chapter 1 verse 29 said, he sees him just coming at him, right? Here comes this guy walking and he says, I'm sure God just gave him an insight. There he is. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the Jews? No, the world. That was like opening a whole plethora, a whole new plateau of really what was really going to happen. And you and I here today are part of that happening. Aren't you happy that Jesus came not just for the Jews? He could have. They rejected him, and he really opened the doors to every single one, whosoever will. Whosoever will. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus if you've trusted him. But what does it mean? What does baptism really mean? We've we've looked at several instances of it. We've looked at its beginnings. We've looked at what it means. But the Christian baptism, what's behind it? Let's go back now to another part of the text that we read earlier. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Paul is laying out for his readers... The real key, the real baptism, and he's talking about something that's spiritual. When we're talking about baptism, what we'll be engaged in today, and by the way, I think there was a question asked uh, the baptism today, we'll, we'll meet here at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, kind of as a group, and then we'll proceed to the Ruby River on Morris Land Company. And we'll have a baptism service there. Whoever feels led to be baptized, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, and you want to act in a sense of obedience, then this is a moment for you. This is a time that literally it fulfills a command that Jesus is doing, as has asked to do, of every generation. But aside from that, let's go to Romans chapter 3 now, and let's just look at this. It starts off in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 is where we want to go, and he says, Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized, immersed into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. So think of that for a moment. The very sense that Paul wants to get at, now set aside the H2O for a moment, baptism by H2O. Just set that aside for a moment. It's very, very relevant because it's the physical illustration of this event we're going to be talking about. The first thing that you need to really have a picture of is the spiritual regeneration. The immersion that I want you to get a picture of is the fact that you're immersed into Jesus Christ's death. You have to be there because that's the key. Jesus died for you. Without his death, that you're part of, it's nothing different. Nothing's changed. He says that's what literally you are immersed in is into Christ himself. His life becomes your life. He died bringing, bearing your sins, He rose again for your justification. He was your substitute. <laughs> now, that's the greatest substitute I can imagine. You are, if you think of this for a moment, when you're spiritually baptized, immersed, I keep using those two words synonymously because they're exactly the same. When you're immersed in Jesus Christ, you are, you ready? You are inseparable from him. Thank God. I don't want to go anywhere he doesn't go. I want him to be part of everything I am. First Corinthians chapter 6 talks about that literally when you've accepted Christ, you yourself are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Wow. All of that being a picture spiritually of what we have. Now, how does that happen? Well, again, it's not because of, this is really key, I'm going to say it again, this doesn't happen the spiritual uh, immersion or baptism does not happen because of the physical, the water, the H2O immersion. No, no, it doesn't bring that at all. That's the outward effect. That's the outward example. That's the exhibition that proves that you are who you said you are. Now, I want to throw this up, It just banging in my head. I was going to do it later, but to think of the fact, hold your place here. Let's, let's back up to Acts chapter 2 verse, and verse 38. Acts chapter 2. Now, what's just taken place is Peter has given a resounding short sermon about Jesus. And I mean, he has laid it out there. In verse 37 is where we'll pick up. Acts chapter 2 verse 37. He's just give them a a sermon about Jesus that they'd crucified and the Holy Spirit is working in that place. It says when they had heard this, verse 37, they were pricked in their heart and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? That's a great place to be. Jesus said, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know what would be the most potentially painful thing of that whole statement? It was not the believing, because that's an internal thing, right? That's a spiritual renewal. That's where it all comes as the regeneration. You know what would be really difficult? is to literally be baptized or identified with the most hated man and the religious leaders in all of Israel. Who's that man? Jesus Christ. You are going to take a stand, he says, if you really have repented, you will be baptized because you will stand out and say, I publicly affirm the fact that I have a relationship. I have trusted Jesus Christ, who everyone in the religious realms hates. Now, I'm here to say, that's where America's headed. It's not exactly a free-flowing sense of unbiased, On you know where I'm going, the wokeness, the awakeness, all of that stuffage. Jesus is no part of that. You can't talk about Jesus freely, because Jesus took some stands that we as a nation don't want to be part of, right? Even though then it was probably even worse. That's my point about baptism. It's making a stand. It's making a statement publicly. I've trusted Christ. All of the things that's associated with him, all of the things he's done for me, I want to be tied onto that. I want to be associated with his death because that's what broke the penalty of sin. I want to be associated with his burial, those three days that he lay in the tomb. But more importantly in all of that, as I come out of the water, the H2O literally, I have been given a new life, a brand new life. I'm no longer my own. I'm literally my savior, my master's. How does that happen? Is it? arranging for a baptismal service? Is it getting dunked? It's all good? No. It's by faith. It's by faith. In fact, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. You can roll back to uh, Romans chapter 6. hold your, You probably still have your hands there, We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter said to repent and be baptized. But look at Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, we should start, actually start in verse 1. It, it shows our true picture. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, verse 1. And it, you hath he quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. You were smoked. What can a dead person do for themselves? Absolutely nothing. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, oh, that's a bad spot. That's as bad as it gets. But God, I like the but gods in Scripture, who is rich in mercy, that's not giving us what we deserve, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. Hath quickened or made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How does that happen? That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Listen carefully. For by grace are you saved. Grace is unmerited favor. It's giving us what we don't deserve. How do you get it? Through faith. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's how the spiritual aspect of justification, the fact of receiving salvation comes. That's how it all starts. That's how it ends. It's all tied up by faith alone, in Christ alone. I'm sorry, by faith alone, in grace alone in Christ alone. Period. So simple. And yet it's so hard, isn't it? The resistance levels are so heightened. Galatians chapter, chapter 2, you're pretty close, just turn back one book if you're in Ephesians. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Do you see the identification, the immersion that Paul spoke of in Romans? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Just as you are immersed in Christ, Christ is immersed in you. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh my goodness, you can see that total inseparability from Christ, Christ in me. i us go back to Romans chapter 6 for a moment. Let's look at verse 5. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. If you're immersed in his death, you're also immersed or baptized into his resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Look at verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the death dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. You know what? Death has no more dominion over you if you've trusted him. As you rise, and baptism is that symbol, as you're raised up out of the water, literally, that is a picture of your new life with which death has no dominion over you whatsoever, ultimately. Now, yes, we will die a physical death. There will be a separation for a split second, literally, to be in the arms of Jesus Christ, to be in His kingdom forever at the end of this physical life. This is the place of which we make that ultimate decision. Will we trust Christ or will we trust ourselves? Will we trust something else or will we trust Jesus? That's the ultimate. That's what this life is about. Grace. We're saved by grace through faith. Let's go back to Galatians for a moment. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And verse 27 is where we'll begin. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond or free. There's neither male or female. There's, all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Man, oh man, that's pretty cool. If you're in Jesus, there is no separation. There's no differences. There's no anything different because it's all about being one in Him. That baptism, when you're baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, we should talk about that for a moment. How are we baptized? How are we immersed into Jesus Christ? Because that's what the Scripture is saying. We're all one in Jesus Christ. How do you get there? Are you ready? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's take a peek. This is good stuff. This isn't for the, just a few. This is literally for everyone that's trusted Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 13. We'll start in verse 12, 1 Corinthians twelve twelve, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ watch for by one spirit, are we all baptized, immersed into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether it be bond or free. And we have been all made to drink into one spirit the body is not one member, but many. Now, did you see that? Literally, we are placed or immersed into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. When you trust Christ as Savior, every single one of you receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not a, uh, what was I going to say? It's not something, a reward. You don't get, in other words, if you're a little bit better than your average, Joe, let's say, how many people are in here? A uh, Half of you have been rewarded with the Holy Spirit. No, a thousand times no. The Holy Spirit is each and every one of the believers possession. And the Holy Spirit literally, that verse is telling us, places you into the body of Jesus Christ. You are immersed, baptized into Jesus Christ. Do you see how important then the physical outward observation is of physical H2O baptism? It pictures all of that. Every single aspect, the dying, the burial, the rising again, the new life that you have in him. It's a picture of what's happened to you when you've trusted Christ. That's why if you haven't trusted Christ, to be baptized is of no value. It's of no worth. It doesn't picture anything because none of that has taken place within you. But baptism is something that Jesus commanded. It was something that he laid out as being very important because it literally sets aside and identifies you, immerses you into him spiritually, but it literally lets the rest of the world know that you are His. That's powerful, isn't it? That's the baptism in a physical, highly illustrative level. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2 for a moment. Colossians chapter 2. Are your pages getting warm from all your... Colossians chapter 2, and let's look at verse 12. Colossians 2, verse 12 and 13. Buried with Him in baptism. Oh, did you see it again? Same, Same concept. Colossians chapter 2 verse 12, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him, just like that, through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. You being dead in your sins and and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Again, once again, you see that baptism that immersion into him. Back to Romans chapter 10. We're closing up, for those of you that are getting worn out, to Romans chapter 10 verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You're affirming by faith everything that God has said. That's exactly what baptism is about, it's showing your union with Christ. That truly is the picture of spiritual baptism. Take a look at Titus. Find that little book of Titus. If you find Hebrews, just roll back a bit, a a skosh, and there you'll find this little book of Titus. Titus chapter 3. Philemon might just be in your way, but it's just a one-pager. Titus chapter 3, and let's look at verse 5. Again, perfect picture of what's been done. Using, Using baptism as a symbol... Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Verse 5, chapter 3, Titus. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. No, it's none of that. You may have a list of, I've got Sunday school attendance pins. I've got church. I've done everything. I've been in, I've been in charities. I've worked my tail off in, in, in soup kitchens. I've been up and down in different disasters. I've, you, you see where I'm going? You know what? It's none of that. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not going to save you. That's not going to accomplish anything in the sense of your eternal destiny. Verse 5, it continues. uh, But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration. Again, that's a spiritual picture. That's a non-H2O moment, washing of the regeneration and renewing what? Of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. That being justified by His grace, not by your works, being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs. I love that word. Don't you, you know, sometimes, whose will would you like to be in? You say, well, you know, I wouldn't mind trying out some money for a while. Just see how it all works out. I would like so much, month left and no money. Have you guys been in that situation? It happens, doesn't it? It happens. But you know what? I want to be an heir of God. I want to be an heir of Jesus Christ. I want to enjoy eternal life forever forever. The only way you can do that is to be an heir. How do you get to be an heir? You trust Jesus Christ. Because it's only his riches, only his power, only his glory through his blood that allows you to be his heir. No other way. You can search the world over. There's a lot of guys with a lot of money, a lot of power have tried it. I think of Howard Hughes, way back when, right? Billionaire. When a billion was worth a billion, right? You know what? He he found it all empty. It was all empty. All of those things that he could buy were empty. Power. There's a lot of powerful people in this world today that can just push a button, make a phone call, tap somebody on the shoulder, and they act now. You know what? Not enough. Not enough. I want only Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what he's saying in Titus. It's a spiritual baptism, it's a symbol. Again, using, let's go back to Acts chapter 22. We'll just pop in there for a second. Acts 22, verse 16. Again, using that same analogy or that same picture, Acts 16 and 22, I got that wrong. Oh, I'm sorry, I flipped it around. Have you ever done that? Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. I'll bet that'll work. Acts 22:16. You see again the picture, the symbolism of baptism. And now why, and I'm jumping into a story I understand. You can read that for yourself, Acts chapter 22. It says in verse 16, and now why tarry? Why are you wasting time? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Washing away. Baptism, water baptism being that picture. Well, we've talked about a lot of things. Is there any questions that you may have about baptism? It's it's something that's not talked a lot about, is it? You'll see a lot of messages about salvation, but it's amazing how the illustration that Jesus Himself says make disciples and <clears throat> baptize them. I was just going to say I was baptized twice: once when I was eight years old in a church pond, and the second time I was baptized in the river at seventy-eight. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. And the one that really meant the difference was the one at seventy-eight, because yeah. you trusted Christ. So, what do you know? At eight eight years old. That's right. Now, a bit, again, let's just talk about that for a moment, as far as maybe you were even baptized in a different mode for a different reason, for whatever. Uh, the one that really makes the difference is the one that, after you've trusted Christ, period, period. So if, you, if, if there's a thought of, well, do I really need to be re-baptized? Well, if you haven't done it right the first time, then it's the initial baptism, correct? That's how I view it. You get it right, right? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. Any other questions? Yes? There's prob- that's probably a whole message that needs to be done about that. I think it started, there, there's a lot of church traditions that got started from the sense of making it more convenient, easier. Um, there was the, all, all the, there's another thought, too, in the sense, which is a whole, I, I don't have enough time to, to flesh it out, but infant baptism. But some of the questions that are asked of the infant, which couldn't tell the difference between the day today and tomorrow... They wouldn't know. They just don't know, right? Nothing wrong with them. But they'll ask a question: Do you renounce your sin? There's a whole font of things that go through. And the parents say, "Yes." Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. That Little Junior, who's less than two, right there, is saying in his mind, "No," right? Because that's how they're born with that. Now, Romans chapter five, verse twelve says that we're all born into sin. There's not not one single one of. In fact, I'm glad that it says that. I'm so glad that that verse is there. And you say, "Why? Why would that be?" Because if there was any possible chance of a human being that could make it without Jesus Jesus wouldn't have had to die did you ever think of it that way I don't want a chance I don't want a possibility of any kind whatsoever because I want my Jesus to come because I know I'm a failure without him I can't do it I'm a sinner so back to your question I believe some of that started just the sense of kind of just set it up kind of like trying to save someone that you love our parents love their children we do but it's an error Because every one of those little willful beasts becomes, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just graphic because that's exactly what happens. They have a will of their own, don't they? I did, you do, everyone does. And they're sweet little children. And then they hit two. (laughs) (laughs) And you're laughing, parents, because you know. But you know what, it's still, God loves every one of us enough to have sent Jesus Christ to die for that little baby. Now, if a baby dies... Prior to, now, there's, there's some, I would say, I'm going to say, uh, maybe I'll just say it this way, denominations. There's, their viewpoint of baptism, let's talk about that for a moment. I think this is important. The viewpoint of several different kinds of, of denominations is very, very important. Some of them believe that it, you don't have anything to do with it whatsoever, that it's for the Old Testament. I, I'm sorry, but my New Testament is full. I've been using it today. It's not what I believe. It's I want to know what God said. I can't find that. There was Quakers and there was that kind of persuasion that literally felt that baptism was for the Old Testament and Jews only. It was a Jewish thing, period. And by the way, his- historically that's true. But no, the baptism is very clearly for us. It's very biblical. It's one of two ordinances. One is baptism, which we've been talking about today, and the second would be communion, the Lord's Supper, if you will. Those two are very, very keenly commanded of us to partake of those. Okay. Um, there's another course of denominations that believe that if you're not baptized, you cannot be saved. So that's called baptismal regeneration. In other words, you're saved because of baptism. Now, they believe you must believe in Christ, but if you are not baptized and believing in Christ, it's not enough. I'm sorry, but that's called a work at that point, and it's up to you. Now, the one question I've asked, I've asked you, asked of it was a gentleman that fairly high up in a, in a denomination, and I said, well, According to what you're saying then, that the thief on the cross that Jesus said would be in paradise with him today, he was nailed to the cross, are you going to tell me that Jesus lied to him? You don't know that he didn't get off the cross and get baptized. (laughs) I said, partner, that's a stretch. (laughs) Do you think that Roman centurion would allow, oh, wait a minute, stop, everybody. We should let this guy get off the cross and get baptized, then we'll put him back on the cross. See to me—that's overpowering in the sense that Jesus Christ, to, today, you will be with me in paradise, baptized or not. It was the key that he trusted Christ for what he—who he was at that moment. That's what's key. So baptismal regeneration is very unscriptural. It has no purpose. In fact, it's doctrinally wrong. It's very wrong. Um, okay, what's the? Oh, you, the mode of baptism. Okay, I, I don't, in, the New, in the New Testament, again, baptizo or baptism, which is the word that we have in our English, in every single case, and baptizo is the most prominent, it is immersion, period. Uh, there's a whole sequence of hist- history of how we got to uh, the dipping or whatever. And I think convenience really probably, I mean, like for us, we don't do January Ruby River baptisms. <laughs> I don't want to do them, Right. So, now, does that mean you can have... It? Well, of course. I mean, should we have a baptismal that has... A, probably, but we don't. And uh, was there another... There was another part to that that I didn't do a very good job with. Okay. Um, some churches have a... Um, drop them. Yeah, exactly. Because I was asked if I wanted to do that. No, nice. oh, thank you. <laughs> you want to go to the real thing, right? Yeah. And there's some, there is something... I will say this for me... Um, there's something about actually being in God's river. I, I just I don't know what that's about, but for me, and maybe it's maybe it's the biblical example, the Jordan River. You know, using using that or Philip and the eunuch. They're going by a body of water. Now I'm I'm understanding if you're in Los Angeles, you probably got to do something outside of the Ruby River, right? <laughs> you see, so God is not. But I, I will say this, baptism, that's what the word means is immersion. And you see, we've we went through the scriptures today in Romans. It's very clear what the symbolism is of what baptism to be immersed in his death, his burial, and raise out of that his resurrection. That's key. That's really what this is all about. OK Any other questions? Um, in the sense of, Either water or spiritual... in in the Old Testament, Yeah. okay, and and it would um, the, the the connection between that and the New Testament is is not so much. It's more of a I'm going to almost say a legalistic situation that is looking to Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's come back to that uh, a Judaism proselyte, proselyte. Okay. That person to, to get out of Gentile, you know, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, to move from that realm into Judaism, um, baptism was part of those rites to do that. And it was the same kind of a picture. In other words, you're going to leave all of your old life behind you, and you're risen to the new life that is in a Judaism or being that, okay? So the same principle is there. Now, does it mean the same Not really. In fact, I just thought of something. Let's go to Acts chapter 19 for a moment. Acts chapter 19. It might have left you in Acts 22. Acts chapter 19. Let's take a look at verses 2 through 5, I believe it is. Acts 19. We'll start at verse 1. Acts 19, verse 1. It came to pass. Are you all there? Acts 19. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So this was someone that had not been approached, had not heard of anything of the, at Pentecost or any of the church beginning. And he said in verse 3, Unto what then were you baptized? What were you immersed into? What are you identified with? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptiz- baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on, Jesus Christ, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, did you see that? There's, there's the right way to be baptized. They were baptized in John's baptism. What was that? To really repent and get ready for Jesus. That's what that, I'm identifying, I'm immersing myself into the fact, I've got a problem and the Messiah is coming. But these folks didn't know about Jesus. And he said, no, that's what you need to be identified. That's what you need to be immersed into, is that. So, Jeff, in regards to the baptism, the Old Testament, John the Baptist would have been the last of the prophets. And he's pointing literally to the Jews saying, there is no difference between you and the Gentiles. So, the thought process of the baptism of which we are, uh, Christian baptism, being identified with Jesus Christ, is not necessarily even in the Old Testament. The principle is, though, that principle of identifying with to be the, the object of the spiritual aspect of the, the baptism being more deeply than just an, a physical observation is there, very much there. But they did not get the fact that only way that baptism to them in the Old Testament was, was valuable was for someone outside of Jewry to come inside. And when John the Baptist came on, which we talked about a moment ago, when he came on board and said that Jews need to be baptized... That was rude. That, that was so crazy. They, they put their hands up, the religious leaders. The common people said, you know what? We do have a problem. Sin is our problem. We need a Messiah. We need Jesus, which they found him later. But it's there. So the reason the Old Testament doesn't talk about it is because it applies mostly just to Gentiles. At that time, yes. Yep. Now again, um, the part of, uh, see, and this is where the Jews should have got this, is that for any sin. Well, if, let's go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Chapter three of Genesis. Um, you know they sinned. They, they were having these walks in the afternoon with God. Well, what would that been like? What'd you do yesterday? I uh, just kind of walked with God, literally, physically. It says that in chapter three. They were walking with God in the afternoon, and then they sinned. And the very next day, that day, I, I believe it was that day, uh, we probably, honey, we probably shouldn't walk with God today. We, there's just something going on in my heart. What about you? Yeah, it doesn't feel right. So what did they do? They hid. And then even they kind of checked out the local fig shops, fig leaf shops, fashion. They went and got some fig leaves. But what did God do? This was the first time there was any any blood that was actually shed. He said, because of sin, you have to have these animal skins. That was something brand new. And that whole sacrificial system of which the Jews were participating in. And you know what? They want to go back to it today. They've totally missed Jesus. Their temple was destroyed. We've been talking about the last several weeks. In A.D. 70, the whole temple was destroyed. All of the genealogy records were destroyed. They were gone. They don't even know who's part of the tribe of the Levites. They don't even know anything about any of that. They don't know who the Messiah line should come from. They don't know if, right? All of that's taken place. They've literally just set Jesus aside because of the religion. Because of all of that, they've just set him aside. Just think of that. And sin required sacrifice. Sacrifice does has to have blood. That's what Hebrews talks about. There can be no remission of sins without the blood. That's why Jesus Christ himself had to die on a cross. God himself died on a cross for you. And because of that, I personally want to be identified with that. I want to let people know that because of what Jesus did, I want to be his. He's the only one qualified. I don't know if I answered adequately or not, but... The Old Testament is, again, the the more that you understand the Old Testament, the more the New Testament comes alive. And the sacrificial system, I'm so glad for me that we don't have the sacrificial system. I'd have to have a whole herd of cattle for me because of the stuff that I'd have to, you know, oh, I screwed up again, right? All of that's covered when I trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have been commanded to be baptized. And and what it does, it doesn't save you, but it brings you joy and peace and blessing for following a first initial commandment. Now, again, don't be bothered by the fact, you know, it's been a long time from the time that I trusted Christ. And part of that is is, is the era, the sequencing in which we've grown up. Baptism is not talked a lot about. It's just not. I'm not saying that. It's just not. So sometimes we use it as an excuse, the, different, the, the, the time difference between when we've trusted Christ, well, you know, and there's one I didn't talk about, the reason is indifference. Does it really matter? Well, it does, because Jesus said it did, okay? But that's where I got hung up a little bit, I, you know, no, I'm not trusting baptism to be saved. Well, that's fair, you shouldn't. But if it's 10 years, if it's 20, in my case, I don't even know, it was a long time, finally god just finally nudged me you know, it was kind of like a nudge and finally just pushed me off right son you need to get this it just worked in my heart and then it worked out it was just perfect and uh, and that obedience is a big deal okay any other questions if not i've probably taken way too much of your time was it helpful okay let's pray father god thank you for the day thank you for your love thank you for describing In detail, in the scriptures, spiritually, the association, the immersion, the complete identity, the inseparability that we have with Jesus Christ when we trust him by faith. When we're truly trusting your grace, Father, we are identified. We are in Jesus Christ, in his death. We are crucified with him. We are buried with him. All of those sins, all of those things in our past become just that, in our past, Water baptism paints that perfect picture of that. As we rise up out of the water, literally, a new life is what we're exemplifying. Father, it'll take more than that. It's a walk in sanctification, and we're not perfect. Sin is still amongst us. It's still here. We take two steps forward and one step back. But you're continuing to work on us. You're continually to mold us. You're continually working towards us becoming just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Thank you for Jesus Christ's sacrifice. How could we ever possibly even closely give you enough thanks and praise for his death, burial, and resurrection? Thank you for promising, Father, to, to use and to take his sacrifice as being perfect. Because if he had not risen from the dead, we would have to assume that it was not perfect enough. But you did. He lives on high. Because of that, he was the first fruits of resurrection. So will we. We are part of him. We are identified in him. Father, thank you for all the blessings that are ours because of what was accomplished through Jesus Christ's life, work, ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. Father, today I would ask even later this afternoon that these moments that we will be looking towards will be a blessing to you that will glorify and honor you. Father, That you would just work with peace and joy in the hearts of those that choose to satisfy a commandment that you've laid out. Father, we're here because we love you. We're here because you want us to gather together in your name. We glorify and honor you, asking you to do all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the most precious Lord of all.